0: Good morning. If you'd open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1. I'm not sure about you, but it is definitely a tough Sunday for us as a church. Uh, now seeing the, the Hess is not here and Pastor Mike not giving you that slap on the back. Juni took full advantage of slapping me on the back for Pastor Mike, uh, which I was not ready for. Um, and he said he would fill in if you need a slap on the back, if you're missing that this morning. See Juniper afterwards, he's over there. Um, He would love to do that for you. Um, I just want to encourage you as we continue uh, in Philippians, we're going to be continuing through God's blueprints for the church. Um, As uh, we just got back from junior high camp yesterday, uh, last week, sometimes when I'm really tired, some of the teens know this from Sunday school, Uh, if I'm really tired, sometimes I start saying things, I go off track a little bit, rabbit trail, so if you see me doing that, just like stop, do this. Or just stand up and yell, stop, or focus. Something like that. If you do this, I know you mean to, f- I need to focus a little bit more. Um, so that would be a great help to me. But I wrote everything out, so hopefully I'll stick to the script uh, this morning. We won't have too many rabbit trails. But in Philippians chapter one is where we're going to be beginning. Um, as we have the opportunity to be together as i have the opportunity to preach i'm definitely appreciating those senior pastors who work at camp uh, every year when they go to camp and then they have to, they have the opportunity to preach on that next sunday morning i definitely have a more appreciation for them and the, the effort that they put in for paul as he's writing to the philippians the believers here uh, this church that is set up in philippi he's writing to them from prison in rome Acts chapter 16 records the account of why he's in prison. He would cast out a spirit from a slave girl, so then the owner, since he couldn't make any money off the slave girl anymore, uh, sought to beat Paul and Silas and have them thrown in prison. So this is the, the setting to which Paul is starting to begin to write uh, to the church in Philippi. And we have this, we're going to look at how to have true fellowship this morning. Not just based on... Um, our preferences, not just based on some of the things we like or don't like, but based on the gospel and based on this true, real fellowship that we have. As Paul begins, uh, we'll just read verses 1 through 11 together, and then we'll look at this introduction he has. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance for you, always in prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel for god is my witness how i yearn for you all with the affection of christ jesus and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through jesus christ to the glory and praise of god let's pray together lord we are thankful for this passage we're thankful for the encouragement Uh, that it will be to us as believers in Christ. Uh, We pray that you'll uh, uh, give us um, just clarity as we think through your word. I pray, as we sang uh, earlier, I need you, Lord, I need you. And I I do need you to help me, help me to focus, help me to have the right words to say, help me to preach with clarity uh, your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we see that it's written from Paul and Timothy. Paul's included Timothy in some of his other letters that he has written, even though this is mainly, this is from Paul to the church at Philippi. But Timothy being a fellow servant in Christ, uh, he includes Timothy in the heading of the letter. He did this uh, as he wrote to the Corinthians, uh, the Thessalonians, and the Colossians. And so we see that Timothy is clearly a, a faithful servant of the Lord servant of the gospel, and as we know from 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Paul and Timothy have a very close relationship together. We'll look a little bit more at Timothy later on in chapter 2 in the coming weeks. So it's also written to the saints, and he specifically points out the elders and deacons. So it's very uh, interesting how he really uh, denotes and specifies That is not just to all Christians, just a general Christian letter, but he wants to make sure those leaders in the church are paying attention well to this, as as this is meant for them too. Not just for everyone else, but for those who are in leadership. It says grace and peace to you, a common greeting uh, for them. I invited, uh, I'm going to invite Gunnar and uh, John to come up here. They're going to help me out. All I told them is that they're going to pull on some rope. That's all the information I gave them, and they were... Somewhat hesitant, wanted more information, but that's all I'm giving you. So they're going to come up here. We won't have this every time, so don't worry. It's a one time thing. So, all right, so you guys both have the rope. On the count of three, I want you to pull, but don't like, don't hurt yourself, okay? Just take it easy. I should have had them stretch, right? One, two, three, pull. Okay, stop, 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 stop. All right, you're doing it wrong. I don't know why. (laughs) I know, it seems very simple, right? But you're actually doing it wrong. So I want you, let's try something different. You turn this way. Now, on the count of three, I want you to pull. Not push. Pull. Yeah. One, two, three, pull. Yeah. Good. Very good. You guys can get a piece of candy afterwards. Nice job. Yeah. All right. You don't have to clap for yourself. All right. Okay. You're clapping for the candy. Good. Thank you very much. That was helpful. Now, it's kind of odd. You saw the look on his face that happened in the first service as well. It's like, and by pull, do you mean push? It's like, no, pull. When they got up here, when we bring them up for, uh, you get a piece of rope, right? Naturally, we're thinking tug of war. You first get up there, you instantly think we're against each other. That's just a natural thought process that we all go through. Sometimes we can get that way even in our own relationships with other people that we think, oh, naturally, we're against each other. We're going to start out against one another, but when I turned John so that they're actually facing the same direction, then they're actually pulling in the same way, it made it a lot easier for them, didn't it? They're both going the same way, then they, they both won. Uh, at Twin Lakes Camp, where I counseled ye- many years ago, um, we had this activity with our cabin, and we, had a, uh, we did it with counselors. Me and this other counselor did it. We started our canoe underneath the bridge, and what we're going to do, we faced opposite directions. And our goal was just to paddle as hard as we could to try to get our boat to the other side of the bridge, to get out from underneath the bridge. Um, After about 15 seconds of paddling as hard as you can, um, your arms start to burn, all right? You start feeling the burn. After about 30 seconds, uh, your arms start feeling like jello, and you're just kind of like, you feel like you're going really hard, but you're really not. And then after about a minute or so, you start questioning why you're even doing this in the first place. And I remember like saying to the counselor like as we're going against each other, I'm like, are you gonna stop? I want to stop. You gonna stop? Like let's just stop together so we like no one wins. And because it was just painful the, the going against, rowing against somebody else. It's just, it's not a fun experience at all. And what we found out is that after going for about a minute or so of paddling against one another, we were in pain, we were um, tired and exhausted, we found out we were still underneath the bridge. We hadn't made it anywhere. And so many times when we, in our lives we can think if being against somebody else and uh, going against one another, we find ourselves being tired and exhausted and that we really haven't gained any ground. As we look at having true fellowship in Christ, that I pray that we see one another, that true fellowship is determined solely by the gospel, and it's maintained through prayer. So, our big idea for this morning, that we want to see each other as on the same team, as one in Christ, and that other preferences, while we might differ on favorite teams or uh, maybe athletic abilities or uh, computer abilities, I realized at junior high camp that I have zero, uh, I used to be good at video games and have knowledge about it, now I know nothing Um, and so we have lots of differences lots of preferences that uh, are just separate from each other and, and that's okay as long as we remember that our true unity and our true value and worth and the fellowship that we can have with one another is solely based on the gospel that we're in that canoe we're going the same direction we're pulling on the rope but we're pulling the same way couple of main points that we have for this morning first is our partnership in the gospel as we'll see in uh, verses three through eight so let's look at verses three through five we'll see that we have a common connection he says i thank my god in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer making for all making my prayer with joy how is that possible doesn't, hasn't he ever worked with Christians before? Hasn't he ever realized that we are sinners? <laughs> We're not always the nicest maybe to each other. Uh, we still have struggles with one another. How can he always make every prayer he has for them with joy? Well, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes a letter to a church that was really, really struggling. He, he writes some really difficult truths for them to hear as they're struggling with sexual morality as they're struggling with divisions in the church and fighting. Uh, he, he mentions that he's glad he didn't baptize any of them because he didn't, didn't want them following him instead of following Christ. And there's just lots of struggles that this church had. It seemed to be a church filled with people who were just sinning it up. all right. And he starts out in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, saying this to a church that was really giving in to these sins. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you. How can you do that? How can you be thankful to God for people who are sinning against one another? How can you be thankful to God for people who are probably a lot of them sinning against Paul? I mean, he had a relationship with these people, and yet they are going to these other sins and not living for the Lord. And he says, I give thanks to my God always for you. He finishes out verse 4 by saying, Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Because you have been redeemed, I can give thanks for you. He says, whatever other circumstances are going on, he said, I want to start out, before I start laying out some hard truths for you to hear, before we talk about how you need to turn back to Christ, how you need to turn away from these sins, before we start going in all these different directions, he says, I want to make sure that you know I'm thankful for you because you have been purchased by the blood of Christ, because you have been redeemed, because you have faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead, and you have your trust in that for your salvation. Start there. What an encouragement that is for us, right? That no matter how many times somebody might sin against us, no matter how many times we might sin against one another, we can be thankful to God all the time For one another because of the relationship that you have in Christ and I have in Christ that means we have unity that means we have a common connection no matter whatever struggles we'll get to later uh, I might sin against you you might sin against me but we can start with being thankful for each other because of the partnership as he says here in verse 5 the partnership in the gospel every one of us have our sin struggles we all have things we're working on we're growing at different rates at different times. But we can be thankful for every single one of us in here. We can be thankful for each other and and remember each other with great joy because of what Christ has done. God's blueprints for his church, for us, is that we look at one another first as a fellow partner in the gospel. What a great encouragement that that is our common connection and that's really the most important part about us. There's also this common hope in verse 6, it says, I'm sure that he who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So what is this work? Uh, We see, we certainly know that it's not a work that we do in order to earn our salvation, because that would fly in the face of what he said to the Ephesians in chapter 2 verse 8 and 9, that it is by grace that you have been saved. This is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. So this work that has been begun in us of salvation is clearly, as he says, he who began the good work in you, this work of Christ, of salvation in your life, it is God who began this work, and he is the one who's going to bring it into completion. Aren't you thankful for that? I know that if it was up to me to work my way to heaven, I sin far too often for me to be able to work my way to heaven. Even one sin, Scripture says, I'm guilty of breaking the whole law. So as soon as I sin once, I'm done. It's over. But God is the one who begins the work in us, who began this work of salvation, and it's him who completes it. So let's say even God starts this work of salvation. What if it was just up to me then to keep it going and to bring it to completion? How's that going to go? I can tell you from being at a week with junior hires all week, 24-7, 24-7, my sin level, I tell you what, it's, I'm so thankful it's not up to me to maintain my own salvation and to bring it to the point of completion because it's not going to happen, okay? Nobody from our church, it was the other campers, nobody, our, our junior hires were angels and just perfect, perfect kids. But if it's up to me, it's not going to happen, so it has to be the work of God, and that's where our hope lies, that it's God's work, that he's going to bring it to completion. Now, Titus is really, he approved this of me mentioning this in the sermon. He's good at building Legos and making these creations on his own, as many junior boys are. Uh, they love the Legos, maybe even older kids as well, like the Legos. I'm glad Titus enjoys it because now I can play with Legos and it's not weird. Um so he I remember he came up to me one time and he and he held up this just small little Lego creation he was starting on and he said, Look, Dad, it's an airport. And I looked at it and I was like, Great. I didn't really see it because he was just starting out on it and I'm like, an airport. Sure. Good job, son yeah. I'm like, I I don't get it. Okay, whatever. Then a few weeks later, he's like, hey, dad, you want, want to come see my airport? I'm like, yeah, just bring it up to me. He's like, I can't. I'm like, you can't, like it was just this little thing. So I go to his room and I find out that he had built this airport and there's a, a runway and there's an airplane that he built to put on top of the, on the runway. And then there's like a little structure around it. And he even built like the conveyor belt that has an x-ray machine. He's never even been to an airport and yet he knows about the x-ray thing, that put your bags on. And I was like, wow, <laughs> I was amazed. I was like really shocked. I was like, that was, that's really impressive. I, I was amazed at what he was able to do. At the beginning, when it first started, I did not see it. I didn't get it. I was like, I don't see this finished, this finished production here. But he had in his mind what he was going to do, and he just started working and working and working until he had it finished. Sometimes in, in my life, I don't know if you can relate to this, where I look at my life and I look at the sins that I'm struggling with, and I don't see it. As he says, I'm going to be finishing the work that I began in you, And the day of Jesus Christ, when at Christ's second coming, that we're going to be like Christ and we're going to be with him and perfection is going to be there and we are going to see him face to face and all this. There's some times when I'm just struggling in sin where I'm like, I don't see it because I I think it's up to me. It's, It's on my own. I'm just trying my hardest. But God says and gives us that hope. Even if we're struggling in sin, God gives us hope that there's forgiveness and that he will bring it to completion, and that the end result of every believer in Jesus Christ is going to be perfection with Christ. That's a hope that I can latch onto. I hope, and I do pray that this is your hope as well. We have this common hope, no matter what struggles we're going through, no matter what stages we are in our Christian walk, that we all have that same hope of one day being with the Lord, and that we will be a finished work. You also have a common grace with one another. He says in verse 7 and 8, he has this deep love for them. He says, For you are all partakers with me of grace. Paul knows a thing or two about the grace of God. If you think back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he was talking about this thorn in his flesh that he was just pleading with God. He said, get rid of it. This is difficult. I don't want this in my life anymore. And if you remember what God said to him, say it with me. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul didn't need the, the circumstance to be removed. He needed God's grace in his life. And now as Paul is writing to these believers in Philippi, he's writing to them from prison. He was beaten. He might be bloody as he is writing these, penning these words. He says, partakers of grace. I'm sure he's reminded of the, the, what God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, when he was going through other struggles in his life. And he says, you also are partakers with me. So it's the same grace. The same grace that he is exhibiting by, through God and how God's working in his life in prison and beaten, he said, you are standing up for that same exact gospel. We have the partnership in the gospel. So he said, this, thing, this can happen to you as well. This can happen to Paul. This can happen to anyone who's standing up for the gospel. He said, you're partakers with me. It's the same grace that you have enjoyed as well. And he says, both in my imprisonment. He's saying, because they are so connected, because they're so together in true fellowship with one another, they are experiencing the same grace as they are burdened for Paul. As they love Paul as well, he says, You're partakers with me in his imprisonment and defense and confirmation of the gospels, taking a stand for God. Isn't that amazing how we can just really share one another's burdens? If we're in true fellowship with one another, if a member of our church is struggling, we struggle too. We want to share in that with them to to show them the grace of God and say, you're not alone in this. That we have this commonality, this, this grace that you're experiencing, I'm experiencing. We can help one another in Christ because we have this partnership not in our preferences, but in the gospel. Now we're going to move to prayer. As the verses 9 and 11 now, Paul starts to share this prayer he has for them. He's like, this great love that Paul says, I love you so much, he says, we are together in this. We are partners. We're partakers together in the gospel. He's saying, I want you to know, here's how I'm praying for you. And it's a very specific type of prayer. It's, it's broad, but he focuses in not just on, I'm praying that you'll feel better. I'm praying that you don't have any struggles in life. We, we could pray these ways for one another, but we need to pray with this mindset that goes a little bit deeper that hits to our growth in Christ and hits to really the gospel, we see first that he's praying for deep, truthful love. In verse 9, it says, My prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Because of their partnership in the gospel, without any other factor coming into play, he's not even going to exclude... uh, as Judea and Syntyche, as in chapter 4, we see that they're struggling with one another. He's not excluding anybody. His prayer is not contingent on whether people are sinning or not sinning or how much of a relationship he has with them. It doesn't matter. He says he's praying for all of you that your love will abound more and more. Isn't it amazing that the person that I love most in this world, that I've committed myself to, that I have actually sinned against my wife. Can you believe that? Shocking, right? No, the person I say I love the most in the entire world, I still have room to love more. So if that's true for me in that case, I think I have room to love everyone in this room more. Um, Paul is writing to a seemingly a very healthy church, and he's saying, I pray that your love abounds more and more. We might think and say, oh, I'm good. But there's always room for growth. I think we all recognize that, even with the people who live in our house that we love the most. If there's room for more love there, then I think there's room for more love in, in this room, more love at, uh, to the, even the people who are at your workplace. And that love may abound more and more with what? It says knowledge and discernment. That this a very specific type of love, it's not contingent uh, on whether uh, people love us or not. It's not based on our feelings at the time, whether we're going to show love, but this love is dependent on the truth. This love is dependent on something that's much deeper than just our feelings in the given time. It says we love because he first loved us in First John four nineteen. We love based on how God loves us. That is the type of love that we're supposed to abound in and love more and more. Think about it. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still what? Sinners. (laughs) Enemies of God. He says that he sent Christ to die for us. While we were sinners. So that throws out any sort of, well, I don't have to be nice to them because did you hear what they said about me? Or did you see what they did to me? They didn't even shake my hand this morning. I'm not going to shake their hand. While we were still sinners, God showed his great love to us in sending Christ. That is the love that we are to abound in more and more and more. It's based on truth, not just feelings, not just how people act towards us. It's based on truth. And then we pray for spiritual discernment. As we have this wisdom, have this knowledge in all discernment, he says in verse 10, he says, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now this word approve comes from an idea uh, that they would be familiar with of checking to see if money is authentic. Now apparently they had money fraud back in Paul's day too, I didn't know that. So they were to check to make sure that the coins were real, authentic coins. So I looked up, I did a little Google search on how to determine whether an ancient Greek coin from Greece was real or not. So I started reading, and I started taking some time to look at this, and the website started talking about the weight of the coin. It started talking about the edges, what it was supposed to look like, and then it started making up words like diaxis, like you're supposed to know about that, and another word they made up was patina. I don't know. They started saying things that I was like, I have no clue what you're talking about at all, and my mind started, what was left in my mind started to explode, and I realized that I was not going to take the extra time and effort to try to understand all these terms to figure out how to determine what a real Greece, ancient Greece coin looked like. I was like, I'm not going to, it's not worth it. I realized that it was going to take a lot of time studying and testing and learning in order to determine that. And I wasn't willing to put in the effort. I'll just tell you. I'll be honest. Wasn't going for it. But as Paul mentions this word to approve to these Philippian believers, he's saying that you need to take the time to study and test and learn truth. If you're going to be able to authenticate and determine what is right and wrong, what God has for you, this love that you need to abound in more and more, it's going to take some effort for you to approve what is excellent. For you to know what is excellent. It's going to take some effort to study it and to learn it, right? Some of you who have been uh, known Christ for a long time and have read your Bible every day for decades, that just, that's not an easy task to do. It's not a simple thing to study your word day after day after day, study the word, and to grow year after year and decade after decade. That takes a lot of your time, doesn't it? As it should. But how worth it? <laughs> how worth it it is so that you're able to approve what is excellent. So you have the spiritual discernment in your life to know right from wrong, to know what pleases the Lord and what doesn't. But not even just stopping there of being able to, oh, I'm skipping ahead, hold on. Not there yet. It says, Not even to be able to prove what is excellent. It says, And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He gives them another little word picture here. Uh, being able to approve, or being pure and blameless. Now back in the day they formed pottery. And as pottery might have cracks as they form it, they would fill it in with wax. And they would cover it over with, with a polish. And so in order to tell whether, uh, whether a pot was pure, whether it was a good, pure, true pot that you would want, you would hold it up to the light, and if any light came through that wax, then you could tell that it's kind of been fixed up a little bit. And so the moral of the story is don't buy pottery on a cloudy day. Right? So then we'll move on. No, I'm kidding. But what it is is that you're holding this up to the light to see whether it is pure and blameless. So he's saying that as you have studied and tested so you know can approve what is excellent he said and so that you can hold your life up to the light and so be pure and blameless for that same day of christ that he referred to earlier when you're finally one day with the lord you can hold your life up to the light and be pure and blameless knowing what is right and wrong knowing not just what is right and wrong but you have the spiritual discernment that you want to glorify god in all those things we need to be praying also for one another, for spiritual actions. Verse 11, he says that you're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, this fruit is very reminiscent of when Paul spoke to the Galatians. The, we all know the, maybe the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe not all of us know that. Um, but in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithful gentleness and self control. Against such things, there is no law. When I come up to verses like this, I don't know if you you think this way or not. Sometimes I think, what's the difference then between somebody who knows Jesus Christ and showing a fruit of the Spirit of love and patience and somebody who doesn't know Jesus and is also showing love and patience? So I think every single one of us knows somebody who has not put their trust in Christ and is a loving person. I have a a relative like this or maybe a friend, they're very kind. They're very patient. They're a very loving person even though they don't know Christ. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is of who is the one that is at the root of the fruit. For those who don't know Christ, they can be loving and kind and and be very gracious people and very very loving people and have self-control and all that, but who is empowering them to do that? They're empowering themselves. And if that's the case, then who is getting all the glory for that? They will, right? They might be loving because they want to make you happy or they want to make themselves, makes them feel good to do good things for other people. It might be just all about this, um, this temporal relationships that we have with one another. But the glory does not go to God. And that's where the main difference is. It comes with Who is empowering you to do these things? So for somebody who is exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit or this fruit of righteousness, as it says even in this verse 11, it says that comes through Jesus Christ. The power comes through the work of Christ in our lives and it goes to who? It says to the glory and praise of God. And so that's why when it's different for somebody who doesn't know Christ, who's being loving and kind, where does the glory and praise go to? Versus somebody who does know Christ says, the love that God has shown me through Christ, that I am redeemed, I have this common hope, I have I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, I want other people to see my good works and glorify God. We point them to the one who deserves all the praise and glory. We point them to the one, as we saying, who is exalted on high. That's who we point them to. Remember in John chapter 15, as we just heard the sermon a few weeks ago, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what makes it a fruit of righteousness is the who that empowers us to do it. Now at junior high camp, i got to share this story with you. At junior high camp, um, there was a junior hire that got up to share a testimony and uh, it it was wonderful. He stood up and he says, I want to thank God for my good cabin. Now I initially go to, okay, he's not really understanding what we're trying to do here. We already said thanks for our counselors, thanks to our, the staff and all that. This isn't a time just, you know, we're trying to praise God, you know, for the work that he did in our life. And, but then as he continued to talk, he said, I want to thank God for my cabin because I was going to come up, and I had some friends coming with me, but they weren't able to go, so I'm here, I was here all by myself, and I was really nervous about getting a bad cabin, like with kids who were just not good. And so he was like really concerned about this, and it was very obvious, and it was adorable. And so he was just saying, I, I was just really concerned I had a bad cabin, he said, but I really had, these guys were really great, and so I had a really good cabin. Thank God. I mean, he said it with the most genuine Heart of praising the Lord because he was so nervous about the cabin he was going to get, and he was so worried about it and so scared about it that when he got a bunch of guys who were really nice to him and they had a great time together, he's just like, "Thank God!" <laughs> it's like a sigh of relief that I had a great cabin. Sometimes we think in, in small areas there might be a small area to thank God and to give praise and glory. We need to give praise and glory to God in those small things, right? <laughs> we need to give praise and glory to God and the big things that happen as well no matter what goes on in our life it says it's all to the glory and praise of God he prays for them that they have this great love that they have this spiritual discernment that they show that spiritual discernment by fruit of righteousness in their works he says to the glory and praise of God not for use that people think you're awesome or super spiritual he says to the glory and praise of God If you're a member of this church, I praise the Lord for you, genuinely, I praise the Lord for you, the part that you're going to have in helping us in this search for a new pastor. You have great wisdom, and we pray pray these things for you, that your knowledge, that your love will abound more and more in knowledge and discernment. If you're a guest with us today, I praise the Lord for you. I'm glad you're here. I hope that you've heard this great hope that we can have in Christ. I hope that you can heard the gospel in Christ and him crucified for your sins, Thankful you're here. If you're here, you're not a member, but this isn't your first time either. You've been coming for a, a while. I praise the Lord for you. I'm so thankful that you've chosen to come here to hear the word. Praise the Lord for all these things. We need to remember as a church that this true fellowship, this is God's blueprints for us as a church, that is determined solely on the gospel. We look at each other first as who are you in Christ? Do you know him? If not, let me tell you about him. If you are, praise the Lord, let's go from there. And then let's maintain that great fellowship that we have. Let's maintain that, to go in the same direction by praying for one another in such a biblical way as he has outlined in verses 9 through 11. So We're going to end, end this way, it's a little bit different. I want you to, this might seem a little awkward, but do it anyways, to look across the room, not somebody in your row, somebody in another row, and I want you to insert their name into this prayer that Paul gives. I want us to pray for somebody in this row. If you don't know who their name is, just pray. Say pray for the guy in the hair or the guy with no hair. I don't know. Uh, God will know who you're talking about if you don't know their name. Okay, so it'll be all right. I want you to pray for somebody else in our church in this room this way. Instead of just saying, "Well, I hope they feel better. I pray that they have safe trip home." Let's pray this way for one another. So I'll just read it, and you guys just pray in your heart. Say, "Is my prayer that they." May, their love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that they may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ and that they may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray for one another that way this week and in the weeks to come. Let's uh, join in fellowship with one another because of who we are in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for Christ that we can have this unity together. We can have this great fellowship with each other, uh, even though we might have other differences. Um, knowing that we're one in Christ, what a joy that is and the hope we have in him. Um, pray that that gives us joy throughout the week. We do pray that we pray for one another. I hope that we're loving one another. I hope that we're uh, saying, uh, sharing what's going on in our life to the praise and glory of God. Help us to pray for each other in a way that pleases and glorifies you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.